there was enough gospel in that song, we could say, okay, you can all go home now. You've heard how God saves a sinner. Thanks, Ferdy, for that song. This morning, I want to bring you a, a simple gospel message from the 11th Psalm. If you take your Bible and turn to Psalm 11... It's a very short psalm, so we'll read the whole thing, and then we'll talk about a few verses in there. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to the mountain, to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the strings that they may shoot, may privately shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. Father, as we come unto thee again through thy word, and we've read it, and our hearts rejoice to even remember that thou hast preserved this word for us preserved especially the King James Bible for English-speaking people. We thank you that we have the liberty to read it publicly, to read it privately, to meditate upon it, to read it back and pray it back unto thee. But as we talk about several of the verses this morning, we ask that thou will teach us about our Lord Jesus Christ. Lift him up in our hearts and minds. Teach our hearts. Lead those that don't know you to the Lord Jesus Christ. May thy spirit make these things real to us today. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. I call this message this morning just the foundations. That's how it'll look on the tape, just foundations. David starts it off by saying, In the Lord put I my trust. And immediately that brings to mind another portion of a psalm that David wrote. If you'll turn to Psalm 118 and look at verse 8. Psalm 118 and 8, it happens to be the very center verse in the whole Bible. Of 31,101 verses, this is the middle it says it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Now, generally speaking, when somebody begins to be interested in their soul or in religion, they almost at once attach themselves to some man. We have learned because of experience, you don't hold on to any man's coattail for your religion. 
The religion between a sinner and his God is strictly between him and God. It's between the awakened sinner and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're fortunate enough to have a pastor that'll preach you the truths of the gospel, that's wonderful, but you don't look to him. You don't hang on to anybody's coattail. And that's what David was trying to tell us over there in Psalm 118. But keep your place at Psalm 11. I'm going to put my ribbon there too. In the Lord put I my trust. You see, natural man just does not trust the Lord or care for God at all. From Genesis to the New Testament, the same things are written about mankind in general. First of all, look at Genesis 6-5. We'll see how the Lord gives you an overall picture of mankind in Genesis 6-5. This is when uh, human beings were on earth about 2,000 years already, close to that. It's a lot of time to populate the earth, and here's what the Lord says. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Well, that's pretty bad, huh? Well, does it progress? Does it get any better? Well, let's go to the middle of the Bible, to Psalm 14. Just read close to where our text is today. Psalm 14, and look at verses 1 through 4. See if man has progressed any. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. And they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Well, let's travel down through the ages some more. See if man has progressed any. Let's go to Romans 3, verse 10 through 12. And you're going to find out that man has not progressed one iota. Apostle Paul writing, Apostle to the Gentiles. So this puts us in. You see, the others you could have said, well, maybe that was for the Jews. No, here's the Apostle to the Gentiles. Speaking in verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Okay? Now there is a reason for that. Now you have got to understand the basic reason for that, and that is 1 Corinthians 2.14. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, and neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Who is the natural man? You're going to think it's some dummy sitting over maybe in the middle of Russia or maybe some person in the middle of Africa, South America, some Eskimo maybe in Alaska. No. The natural man can be your mother, your daddy, 
Your grandma, your aunt, your uncle, the neighbor next door, the man across the street, your boss, your teachers. They're all natural people until God regenerates the heart. Until the heart's regenerated, it's just what it says. The things of God are foolishness unto them. And particularly the preaching of the gospel. You see, in 1 Corinthians, uh, just on the same next page back, 1 Corinthians 1.18, it's the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Oh, they can be so educated and everything else, but when it comes to redemption, when it comes to God's way of saving a sinner, when it comes to God's plan of salvation, they think it's foolish. Now, to trust the Lord means that you're safe. It means that no matter how powerful, how rich, how wise, how educated any person is, they can't accuse you of anything that will stick. Mind you, that will stick. Look at Romans 8, Romans 8, uh, 31. Romans 8, 31. It says, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. said, see, nobody can condemn you. Turn to Psalm 18. I want to read verse 1 through 3. Psalm 18, 1 through 3. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength. In whom will I trust? My buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And so shall I be saved from my enemies. You see, if the Lord is that to a person, what could touch him? How could anybody get to him when the Lord is all those things to him? And it's wonderful. The Lord Jesus Christ is our all in all. Now, our lives are so that many could be our accusers and they would be right concerning our wrongs. They're able to look into our lives and they associate with us and see how we are wrong. But God, being our justifier, not only knows our wrongs, but has paid for them with his own blood. And that makes us right in his sight. All of that is because we trust in the Lord. That's what David said, I trust in the Lord. Psalm 11. Now, in the Lord is where the soul is safe. Nowhere else. Man invents other places of safety. In fact, man is a great inventor. Did you know the Bible tells you that? Look at Ecclesiastes 7.29. Ecclesiastes is real close to the beginning of Isaiah, so you can get over by Isaiah and get in front of him. Ecclesiastes 7.29. He says, Lo, this only have I found... But God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Yeah, man's a great inventor. 
Now our verse, our verse says in verse Psalm 11, 1, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Well, surely to man, the person in the mountain and the mountain top is the safest. So people, Satan in your own flesh, say the high places of the world will preserve your soul. Now the rich man in Luke 12, 19 and 20 spoke to his own soul. Well, I'm going to read it to you so you'll know what he said to his soul. Luke 12, 19. I'll get it for you. Here's what he said. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? You see, he says to himself, You have a mountain of goods and wealth. Your soul is secure. Now that was his mountain. Religious people have several mountains that they fly to. One is the mountain of works. If they can just do the best that they can, each and every day do the best you can, God will honor their efforts at Judgment Day. That's what they think. Another mountain that souls fly to is the mountain of free will. This is the bird sanctuary for our day and time. It has clouds of birds of every size and color. They flock. They darken the sky. They just cover the mountain and, of course, enrich it with their dung. What's the attraction to this mountain? Well, there's a rumor spread throughout the world that God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, died for everyone. And if anyone will accept him, they'll be saved eternally, and if they refuse him, they'll go to hell. Sounds pretty logical. So all you got to do is accept the fact that Christ paid for our sins and everyone else's, and you join the flock and you head to the mountain. Free will always takes the wrong road. That's the broad way spoken of in Matthew 7.13. Want to take a peek at it? In Matthew 7.13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Now, if you didn't read anything else, if you didn't read anything else, you could understand by these simple words that there's an awful lot of people on the broad way. And it leads to destruction. And if the broad way leads to destruction, then Christ did not die for those on the broad way that go to destruction. Because everybody that Christ died for is going to have eternal life. Not destruction. 
But the Bible teaches that there's going to be many on that broad way. What's the next verse say? Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. They don't even find it. Just a few even find it, much less enter it. You see, it's interesting. Our Lord lets you know in the black and white radio, well, in our Bible, it's red and white, that there's a wide way and a narrow way. Now, this broad way is well lit. It's lined with churches and activity, full of mirth, singing, ritual, and tradition. And the narrow road can scarcely be found because it isn't looked for by the flesh. The flesh doesn't want to be humbled. It doesn't want to give up anything, not even for eternal life. It just can't bear the thought of taking its place as a lost sinner. If you find the narrow way, you will be called narrow for being on it. Let me show you what kind of folks will be found on this narrow way. Turn to Luke 4.18. Luke 4.18. Here's the folks you're going to find on the narrow way. Our Lord Jesus Christ, this is, is the, probably the beginning of his ministry. He's in a synagogue and he's about to read something about himself. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's one category. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That's another one. To preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. That's two more. And it's set at liberty them that are bruised. You know what? You've got to fit in there somewhere. You've got to be in there somewhere. The Christ didn't come to preach to you. You've got to either be poor, brokenhearted. You've got to be a captive. You've got to be blind. You've got to be bruised. Now, where are you? You know, God's people are all of those things. When the Holy Spirit begins working with your heart, hey, it's easy to see that you're a candidate for salvation. Now, I'm going to show you a few folks that won't be on this narrow way. Turn to 1 Corinthians 1.26. 1 Corinthians 1.26. Here's a few that won't be on the narrow way. They'll be on the broad way. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men, not after the flesh, not many mighty and not many noble are called. You see, that takes care of the, the educated, that takes care of the bodybuilders, the strong, the athletes, the noble, those that have great families, come down through nobility, or have good, clean Christian families, this whole thing, not too many of them. See, they're not going to be on the road. And I'll show you a few other folks that aren't going to be on the road. Turn, turn to Luke 5.31. Luke 5.31. Luke 5.31 And Jesus answered, said unto them, answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. So whole people, good, healthy, clean living, 
nice people aren't going to be there. They're not sick. Of course, it's sin sick. Only the Holy Spirit can show you your sin debt, your sin sickness. And then, then you're right there while you're in Luke, you know, Luke 5, the next verse, 32. Somebody else is not going to be on that road. I came not to call the righteous. What do you mean by righteous? That's good people. That's nice people. That's moral people. They do the best they can. They got a little bit of religion. They think if they can do as many good deeds as they can, it goes in a scale. The scale balances in their favor and they have heaven at their entrance. No. Didn't call the righteous. The Lord Jesus Christ calls sinners. Calls them to repent. Simple, sixth grade English words. The bottom line of all of this is that the Lord Jesus Christ come to seek and to save that which was lost. You're still in Luke, but look at Luke 19.10. Luke 19.10. When you can see the scriptures, then you know that the preacher is not pulling your leg. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you're never lost, if you have never been lost, you'll never be found. You have to be lost in order to be found, okay? That's simple. Now, none of these truths will free willers agree to, and the description of these folks is found over there in Revelation 3.17. Look at Revelation 3.17. Last book in the Bible, third chapter. Description of most modern-day churches. When I say most... Uh, I'm, I'm talking 90% or above, um, that's, and that's still being very, very lenient there. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, if they knew that, see, that's their condition. That's their real condition. If they knew that, they'd be a candidate for salvation. But that's not what they think. They think that they're rich, increase with goods, and have need of nothing. Not only think it, they probably are. Well, let's go now on to verse 2. Verse 2 in Psalm 11. Verse 2 kind of corresponds to John 15... 18, you can be turning to, well, let's read verse 2. This, this has to do about the enemies of God's people. For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. Now, we have something very similar to that in John 15, 18. John 15, 18. Our Lord Jesus Christ tells his people, that they are going to have enemies in the world. They're not going to like you if you're a real Christian, a follower of Christ, a believer. Verse 18 says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Two pages to your right. John seventeen fourteen. I have given them thy word, 
and the world hath hated them. Just something, huh? Now, why should the world, or why should the normal person hate the Lord Jesus Christ? He described it in the words that they hated me without a cause. Because man's nature is bent against holiness. Man by nature is at enmity with God. And the scriptures tell you that in Romans 8. The carnal mind is enmity with God. When Adam fell, he left us with a wonderful, wonderful nature that just want to run away and hide from God. That's what he did the first thing, and man's been doing it ever since. Now let's go to verse 3. Verse 3 in Psalm 11. This is what our text was about today. It was called Foundations, and here it is. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's a mighty big if. That's just like saying, if God can lie. If there were no hell. If one of the elects could be lost. You see, it's impossible for the foundations to be destroyed. One of the foundations is God's election. Look at 2 Timothy 2.19, it is 2.19, 2 Timothy 2.19. All the T's are together, Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus, so if you find a T, you're close. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. That's the foundation of God. He knows whom he gave to the Lord Jesus Christ back in eternity. The Lord Jesus Christ knows those for whom he died. That is such a basic truth in the Bible, you wonder how can all of professing Christianity miss it? The Lord Jesus Christ didn't die for a bunch of no-namers. He knew every single name of every individual he was going to die for. And that tells you that there so clearly in Revelation 13.8. Revelation 13.8. If you read the second part of that verse, it says, Whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. When was the Lord Jesus Christ crucified? Well, about 4,000 years after Adam was created. So he wasn't killed physically before the world was created. But in God's mind, he was. He's always been our surety. He's always been the substitute redeemer of those that God has loved from eternity and put their names in a book. The Lord Jesus Christ knew everyone he's going to die for. You don't hear that anywhere else, or very few places. Paul tells me they know the doctrines. Their church preaches election. If it wasn't for election, nobody would come to Christ. All the world doesn't seek God. Nobody does, apart from the Holy Spirit drawing you gently. Look at John ten fourteen. John ten fourteen. 
am the good shepherd and know my sheep. See, he died for the sheep. And am known of mine. In time, every one of the sheep come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They come from all walks of life, from all over the world, but they all come as a lost sinner, begging for mercy. And when you ask for mercy, the Lord Jesus Christ will answer you in mercy. It's a one-on-one -on -one with the mediator. It's not joining the church or giving the pastor your hand or standing there and making a decision. It's God revealing himself to your heart that he's yours, your substitute, your redeemer. Kind of a lost doctrine. Now this foundation has cornerstones. Look at Isaiah 28.16. Now we're talking about foundations. Isaiah 28.16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and he that believeth shall not make haste. We you say, well, how do you figure that's part of the foundation? Who is that person? Well, you see, Peter, the supposedly first pope, wrote some nice little letters in the back of the New Testament, and he tells us about this verse. Look at 1 Peter 2.6. 1 Peter 2.6. Peter's going to quote this from over there in Isaiah. He says, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, and we just read where it was contained, Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, there it is, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. What's this next part say? Whereunto also they were appointed. You mean that people that stumble at the Lord Jesus Christ, that refuse him, that reject him, doesn't disappoint God? He's not terribly disappointed that everyone doesn't come to Christ? What did you just read? Whereunto also they were appointed. Nothing takes God by surprise. In the end, the plan will come out that those given to the Lord Jesus Christ, those for whom he died, they'll come to Christ in time. The others won't. You'll find that they were appointed to that, and the others were elected to salvation. Figured out? You can't. No way in the world, and then man's responsibility is in there to respond to the preaching of the word and to God's word. Man has to do everything he can to get to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when you get there, what do you find out? It was God that gave you the strength to do so, gave you the desire, the will. We find that he's done all the work 
and bringing the sinner to Christ. He gets all the glory. Man doesn't get one single stitch of glory from anything. In fact, he'll bow his head and just say, Thank you, Lord, for being so good and so merciful to me, a sinner. All right, now, God elected that chief cornerstone. I want to show that to you also. It's Isaiah 42.1. We want to show you the very words. Isaiah 42.1. You see, election doesn't have so much to do with the individual without Christ being involved. The Lord Jesus Christ is the chief elect. He was elected by God and we are chosen in him. See what Isaiah 42 one says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. Where did you ever hear that before? Well, three different times in the Gospels, the voice of God boomed down from heaven out of the cloud, which was the Shekinah glory, and said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. You see, here he says, In whom my soul delighteth. I put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And the rest of that chapter is about our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the elect servant. Now, I said that we were chosen in him. Turn to Ephesians 2.20. Ephesians 2.20. No, turn to, well, while you're there in Ephesians, we'll look at 2.20, and then we're going to come back to... Uh, to one four, but two twenty first of all. Talking about the foundation again here, it says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone of the foundation of the church, the chief cornerstone. Now about being chosen in him, back up one page to Ephesians one four. Ephesians one four says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What does it say? It says God chose somebody. Chose the ones he's going to say. He chose us. There's an address to saints up there. Chose us in Christ before the world was made that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. How does that take place? Hey, I know me. If anybody's not holy, if anybody's full of blame, that's me. How did you get to this? You see, when you're in Christ, God the Father looks upon the believer as holy and without blame. He looks upon the believer as a chaste virgin. He looks upon the believer without spot or wrinkle. All of those descriptions are in the Bible how God looks upon the believer. But a believer don't look upon himself like that. The believer doesn't look upon other believers. Oh, I can find fault with this and that, and everybody can do that. But it's a wonderful feature of God that when he forgives our sins, he puts them behind his back and forgets them. We can't forget. We will ask for forgiveness, we'll sin, and we'll remember, we'll remember, we'll remember. You can't forget. God forgets our sins. Far as the east is from the west, there is the depths of the seas. That's how he described God putting our sins behind his back 
When the believer comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, because Christ paid for those sins. Once they're paid for, it's done. Amazing. The Lord Jesus Christ paying for all of our sin. Now, because the foundation is usually hidden, laid deep to give a good support, so are the foundations in God's word. They can't even be known unless God gives spiritual eyes to the individual. That also is called being quickened or awakened. Apart from God's work of regeneration, the soul remains lifeless or dead to spiritual things. Look at Ephesians 2.1. We're right there. You're right there. Sixth grade English. Listen. And you have he quickened. No, that means made alive. And you have he quickened who were deadened in trespasses and sins. The first thing an awakened sinner sees is that he was dead. Could have been the liveliest person in the neighborhood. Could have been the best athlete. Could have been the best student. Could have been anything that the world says, great, wonderful, proud of you, citizen of the year, athlete of the year. Lord quickens your heart, you find out you are dead in trespasses and sins. No spiritual life. Now, even though God's people, the doctrinal truths of God's word seem to be on the surface all over the place, but they're buried and out of sight to unbelievers in the world. God's people can see these truths right on every page. The rest of the world remains blinded to the great doctrines of God's word, how God saves the sinner. These foundations include the sovereignty of God, the total depravity of the sinner, the work of God's Holy Spirit in regeneration, conviction and conversion, all done by God's Holy Spirit. And then there's a hope of Christ's second coming when we receive our new bodies. That's a promise in the scriptures to God's people. You're going to get a new body that won't sin. That not only won't sin, that can't sin. That's the part I like. I know my heart, how wicked it is. If I had a new body, it would defile itself this very day. But the new body we're going to get, the resurrected body, will not sin. It'll be impeccable. There's not very much of that around. Only one person was ever impeccable. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. If the foundations be destroyed. Now it's not that modern and ancient religionists haven't tried to destroy them. But it's impossible seeing that our God never changes. I'm going to read you Malachi 3.6. Malachi 3.6. Time is getting close. Running out. Malachi 3.6 For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. We are more than conquerors through Christ. I'll read you Romans 8.37. Romans 8.37 Some of you won't be able to find it in time. It says, Nay, in all these things, 
We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the invitation in the scripture the Lord Jesus Christ himself invites sinners to come to him. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's Matthew eleven twenty-eight. That's going to be our last scripture for the day. You see, preachers don't invite you. They, they haven't got the authority to say, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to welcome you into the kingdom. No. All the invitations are in the Bible. They're, it's God giving you the invitations. All the preacher's doing is reading it to you. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Who said it? That was the Lord Jesus Christ. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. You see, anybody that's holding this Bible on their lap or reading it in their home, this, these words are personal. They're to you, to anybody that reads it. It's kind of like what we call the general call. God invites anybody that reads these words to come. You know who's going to come? Those whom the Spirit makes these words real to their heart. It goes down like over in the Acts when Peter was preaching. It says they were pricked in their heart.